Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. Welcome to Science Suffering, part five, a sermon I've called Pain and Evil. I don't know if you know this, but I love my church. I'm just crazy about y'all. I love my church. I love this thing called Venue Grit. I was thinking about, how would I describe Venue Church? Grit. There's this thing where like, hey, if you need something in your life from God, we're not going to stop it 50% of the way. We're going to go get it all. And I love that. Anthony loves our church too. He recently told his small group, and I quote, thanks to Venue, I now have people that would come to my funeral. (laughs) Jeez, Anthony, that got kind of dark there. You know, you could go to his funeral, you could go to his baptism in a couple of weeks if you want. I mean, I'm just saying. January 24th, Sunday night is going to be the baptism, so come on out to that. Um, Yeah, it's just going to be incredible. So, um, baptism. I love getting people baptized. All right. Um, Here's our question today that I want to kind of dig into, and I need a little bit of time to do this. And so are you okay if I teach a little bit? Most of the time I preach a lot, but I'm going to teach a little bit and preach a lot. And so all you thinkers out there are going to be like, that was the best thing ever, just because I stuck to my notes. But everybody else likes to preach, and I'm just saying. Um, Everybody else just loves the preaching around here. (laughs) I feel like we're a little bit echoey. All right, thanks for working on that, guys. Um, How can a loving God allow pain and suffering in the world? How can a loving God allow pain and evil in the world? I think that that's probably something that's hung you up, even if you grew up in church. How does that work? If God is good, why is there all this bad? Have you ever asked that question? If God is good, why is there all this pain and suffering in the world? I need to give credit to whom credit is due here. There's uh, two great Canadian leaders that I've ripped off these sermons from. Um, One is Mark Clark. Uh, He's written a book called The Problem of God where he goes in and he used to be an atheist and he explored this. Now, I really relied heavily on uh, Mark and and, uh, Carrie Newhoff from Conexus Church, wherever that is in Ontario. That's a thing. That's a place. In Ontario, no, um, uh, Pastor Kerry Newhoff, uh, their approach to this was because they both had to wrestle with the thoughts of being an atheist. Now, I've been to some hell on earth here, but I never really questioned the existence of God. So I thought if that's you, I really wanted to see it from your point of view. And so I've really immersed myself in their stuff. And I do want to give them credit for these, uh, for the sermon uh, topics and just how they came about this whole thing which I love. Now, this one here is a bit different. You know, we can talk about the origins of the universe and the truth of the Bible, but this one's different because it's not an intellectual topic. This one catches us where we feel it. Pain and suffering. This is the sucker punch. When you get that phone call, when you hear that news, this is that thing that that comes out of the inside of you, maybe in words, but maybe not sometimes, like, God, if you're good, why is there pain and evil in the world? Have you ever wondered? Why? God, how does that work? When I was in, uh, in the trades, we... I used to frame houses for a little bit, and the framing crew that I was working on, the owners of the house that was being built asked for the, screw, uh, the, the, the floor to be screwed down, the subfloor to be screwed down with, with wood screws so that, um, did you know this, like if, if you spend an extra hundreds of dollars, you can, you can get the subfloor screwed down so that it doesn't squeak when you walk across the floor. So. Squeak, squeak. If your house squeaks, it likely didn't get screwed down like it should have. And so, um, so the guy who was in charge of the crew said, hey, Corey, go and grab. And I was just a uh, young kid. I think I was 18, maybe. And he said, hey, Corey, go and grab 
uh, those screws and screw down the floor. So, so I did what I thought I was supposed to do, and I went out, out to the trucks and I started getting uh, and unwinding extension cords and dragging them across whatever mud or whatever was going on there. But I started dragging extension cords out and setting up drills and stuff. And about halfway through this, the guy says, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to screw down the floor. And he, he said, use the drill gun that's on your belt already. <laughs> now, here's the funny thing. I was wearing a framing belt with a framing hammer on it. What he meant was, just take the screws and pound them in with your hammer. Because actually screwing down the floor takes way too long. And I thought, this is an interesting thing because the customers have paid for the floor to be screwed down and I'm doing it with a hammer. Will the floor squeak? Yeah, probably, because when you're just hammering a screw in, like, yeah, it's kind of turning, but it's not really like, you're just forcing it in there. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not doing what it was designed to do. And yet the framer is still making the money for it, as if it was. Interesting thought. It's not doing what it was designed to do. Something was wrong. And it will appear later, but nobody will know who framed it later. Or he won't care, because he's already been paid. It's an interesting thought. When I got into the electrical trade, I remember one time I walked into a house and we started carting in the wire and stuff that we needed to, to use for this and, and real drills. <laughs> and uh, every time I walked past this one wall, I noticed that it was the vaulted wall and it was a bungalow. So this was the top floor and the ceiling was quite high. And the whole vaulted wall had all of the two by six on the outside of the wall. And every time I walked past that, I thought, I just kind of leaned to one side. And I'm, finally, I said to the general, I said, like, am I on crack here or is that, that all those, that whole wall seems crooked. And he said, yeah. Now, if you spend any time in construction, you'll know that when you line up the top plate and the bottom plate, have I lost everybody here? The top plate and the bottom plate, and you mark it, you have to mark an X on the top of it so that you put the stud on the right side of the X. And if you don't mark the top and bottom plate right, or you mark it on the flat, you don't know which side to, and so you just assume. And so the entire wall had been done, and all the studs on the top were on the wrong side of the X. And then I asked, because I already knew the answer, are you all going to fix that? Or? And they looked at it. The whole building, you know, the roof is on. It's been sheeted. He's like, yeah, we're going to fix it. <laughs> They're not going to fix it. We're wiring it like today. We're not going to fix it. It's interesting, though, that whoever lives in that house, maybe somewhere along the way, or somewhere along the way of the first house, when the floor starts to squeak, you'll start thinking to yourself, maybe this wasn't according to its design. Maybe there's something wrong that we can't quite put our finger on, but it's not quite according to design. And I think if you've lived any amount of time in the world with the pain and evil and suffering and just general muddiness of things, you'll start understanding that maybe something's not quite right in the world pain and evil. If God is good and God is love, how can there be so much pain and evil in the world? I think that you know it. I think you can feel it in the air. I think you can see it in your relationships. Something is not right. Could it be that we were made for more? Could it be that we're looking for paradise lost? But what are we comparing it to? What if this is all that we've ever known? What are we comparing it to? There's something inside of us that knows that there is something more. We've all had pain and 
crushing loss. Some of us have. Bankruptcy. Can I get somebody to grab my stool from right over here so that I can keep talking? I totally forgot it, and I would like a stool to sit on, so thank you very much, Amy. So let me ask you this here. When you sit down, you've sat down in the middle of the mess after a divorce or after a betrayal of a friend, or you've lost everything, when you sit down in the middle of it, can you feel that something is not quite right in the world? Thank you very much. She's also on photography duty tonight, I see. Give her a hand. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Amy. But the real problem is that pain is personal. It's funny, there's been times in my life when I felt like my mind and my heart has been torn apart at the seams over long periods of time. But it's also interesting that I found God there. Maybe a different God than you found. Maybe not the North American, like, come to Jesus, he'll make your life happy God. Maybe a different God, maybe the real God, down in the bottom of that. The thing is, we know that we can't untangle the mess because we can't even untangle ourselves, but how are we going to untangle the mess in the sinful world? And where is God's place in all of this? Mark Clark, in his book, The Problem of God, quoted this as he opened his chapter from Cormac McCarthy's No Country for Old Men. I sent one boy to the gas chamber at Huntsville. He'd killed a 14-year-old girl. The paper said it was a crime of passion, and he told me there was no passion to it. He told me he'd been planning to kill someone for about as long as he could remember. Said if they turn him out, he'd do it again. Said he knew he was going to hell. I don't know what to make of that. Maybe it was some new kind. What do you say to a man that by his own admission has no soul? But he wasn't nothing compared to what was coming down the pike. No country for old men. The late professor apologist and Author Ronald Nash said this, every philosopher believes that the most serious challenge to theism or belief about God was and is and will continue to be the problem of evil. In a recent national poll, people were asked this, if you could ask God only one question and you knew he would give you an answer, what would you ask? The question was this, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Don't you want to know? 18th century uh, Scottish philosopher David Hume said this, is God willing to prevent, this sort of sums it up, I think, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he's impotent. Is he able to but not willing? Then he's malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Why then is there evil? I think that that sums it up for us. Again, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he's impotent. Is he able to but not willing? Then he's malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Why then is there evil? And this led him to land in his belief that there could be no God. A Christian comes at it like this and says God is omnipotent, which means that God is all-powerful, that God is omniscient, which means he knows everything. He knows all the evil that's happening in the world. That he's wholly good, catch this, so meaning he's entirely good himself, meaning the evil isn't in him, but a Christian also believes that evil exists. 
Now, maybe you didn't grow up in a very intellectual church where you were allowed to ask questions like this. Maybe you've been wrestling with this for a long time. Maybe you've left faith years ago because you couldn't come to an answer with this because you weren't allowed to ask it in church. But I think that this is something you have to wrestle with, the goodness of God and the evil of the world. How is it happening at the same time? Atheists argued that they can't exist at the same time. An atheist named J.L. Mackey said this, a good thing always eliminates evil as far as it can, and there are no limits to what an omnipotent, uh, omnipotent thing can do. So he's saying a good thing always eliminates evil as far as it can, and there are no limits to what an omnipotent thing can do. So he's saying, okay, you believe in God. If God is all-powerful he, he, and he's good, he must eliminate evil as far as he can. He must eradicate all evil. Meaning there's no question that God could and would if he existed. Therefore, he doesn't exist. That's how he would say it. But the question we need to ask today, and there's a few of them, could God eliminate evil without exterminating all of us? You think about it. You think about it. Oh, God, eliminate all evil in the world, including your two-year-old who just smacked his sister, including you. If God is good, then he would. Well, no, just fill in the blank. Murderers. Just rapists. Just genocide. Just. And you would know where to draw that line, I suppose. We're still left in the middle of this tension. Could God eliminate every tiny evil in the world without creating a domino effect or a butterfly effect? Have you ever thought about that? Could God prevent evil from happening without transgressing the free gift that he gave to every human, and that is your free will? Well, then you'd need to be a robot, unable to choose. So I can give you that and say, like, hey, it's a choice, and this is how it all went down, but you know what? That might keep you from blaming God because you'll realize that we chose to leave God and that's where this whole sickness and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But the, the reality of it is when you're sitting in the middle of the mud, when it's all fallen to pieces, I can say, well, mankind chose it, but that doesn't help you right there, does it? So let's dig deep. Let's dig into this and find God in the middle of this mess. What if there was a domino effect and then if God stopped every small thing from happening, that greater good couldn't happen? And that's something to think about as well. What if there's suffering today for greater good tomorrow for more people? How about this? Some of the most beautiful songs that have ever been written have been written out of pain. So, so could good exist if there was no evil? Could beauty exist if there was no ugly? We were talking about this before the service. I mean, all the Irish songs, all the happy songs are about all the terrible things that happened in Ireland. And all the sad songs are about love. But notice the brilliance that comes out of pain, artistry. If you could stop every little piece of evil from happening, maybe there would be greater beauty in the world that wouldn't come from it. I think about this in, in very simple ways because you've got to explain stuff to me like I'm five. Exercise is a great evil today. <laughs> but with suffering today, could it not lead to a six-pack tomorrow? 
I've got a couple of them. How about this? What about childbirth? Do you think that the joy of childbirth, I was there for all of my children being born, and I was an amazing support. <laughs> I was the first, you don't even know the first time, like my, I was wearing the wrong shoes, and I was up all night on my feet, and my feet were killing me the whole night. <laughs> and I, I know. And I, <laughs> uh, it's hard to think about right now, because that's how much my feet hurt. <laughs> And there was this like $3,000 leather lazy boy chair at the Peter Lougheed in Calgary here. And I felt too guilty because it was my first child and I didn't know how it worked because I didn't watch any of the videos because it freaked me out. <laughs> and so I wasn't allowed to sit. And so my feet and ankle, I had a bad ankle at the time. I know. And I felt guilty and I didn't know what to do. And so finally I'm like, hey, can I help? You know, and the nurse is like, uh-huh. Uh, watch this baby heart rate monitor and then tell me if the number gets over this, okay? And so I was like, on this, I got a job, right? And then I'm like, uh, excuse me one time because the, the heart rate spiked. And she's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I realized I got the stupid end of the tape measure. <laughs> just look here, just tell me if this number gets over here. Just shut up and stand there on your stupid ankle in the wrong shoes. And yet I remember when our children were born, the, this the most joyful I've ever seen Aaron in those moments. Would, would the joy be as rich and as just crazy high without the suffering before that? So God is only good if he eliminates all evil? That's a tricky spot to put God in. We go to the scriptures to find answers, but sometimes... What we find in the narrative scares us. The Apostle Paul himself wrote to the Corinthians and said, If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so, but I wouldn't, but I, because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. He said, Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and trouble that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here's a man who was eventually martyred for his faith, but he had already been killed for his faith and God raised him to life. He'd been beaten just shy of death so many times, like we find ourselves at this place where we're asking God to save us, but what are we really asking God to save us from? Have you been down there when it's all coming apart at the seams? What are you asking God to save you from really? The answer is the pain and suffering that you're in, right then. We all think we're so strong. Have you ever been down to that place? I've been down in that place a lot. When I was young, I was strong and I had a strong mind and a strong will and I thought, you know, there's nothing that could really break me. Now when some young fool says that, I think, oh, like five minutes of the right kind of pain can split you open. There's nothing you could do to stop it. Make you crazy. What do we do with it? We're asking for deliverance from the pain and suffering now with an eye to the now, but what if Jesus invites himself into our pain rather than invite us into his complete healing on the earth? What if pain and suffering are also 
part of God's existence. Have you ever thought about God's existence in all of this here? Maybe he doesn't get free days either. Have you ever thought about this? For God to love as high and as deep as he loves, maybe he also experiences pain on a level that you couldn't imagine because you're not the creator of all of this. You can't like selectively numb good and evil in your life. You can't do it. You numb everything at the same time. Well, God is not numb. There's nothing in him that hasn't suffered every time that you've suffered because you're his kid. Even if you don't believe in him yet, he's still signed the adoption papers. He's just waiting for you to come home. But every time that you suffer and every time that somebody's hurt you, he's in there and he, I mean, you've got to believe that he feels it deeper than you feel it. Just like I would feel it deeper than my daughter would feel it if something was happening to her. And I'm just like an earthly dad, not like him. What if they're part of God's existence? But maybe the first question should be this. How do we even define what is evil in the world? Have you ever thought about that? First of all, if you're a product of evolution, why would you even care? Just saying. But listen, how do we even define what it is? Particularly if we're struggling with believing in the existence of God. There must, that must mean that there is a measurement built deep inside of us for what is good. Does that make sense? How would you even know what's evil? How would you look at something that's happening to a little girl and say, that's evil? Well, you're measuring it against something. Even if it's subconscious, you are measuring it against something. C.S. Lewis, who used to be an atheist, said this, I was at this time living, like so many atheists or anti-theists or anti-God, in a world of contradictions. I maintained that God did not exist. I was also very angry with God for not existing. <laughs> I was equally angry with him for creating the world. He said this, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust, but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying that it was nothing but a private idea of my own, but if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too, for the argument depended on seeing that the world was really unjust, not that it did not happen to please my fancies. A man does not call a line crooked, he says, unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? But it always gets put to Christians, doesn't it? I hear this so often. How can a loving God allow suffering? That's why I'm not a Christ follower. I don't know that that's really like a, like a Christian issue, though, is it? Everybody already has a belief system. Isn't that kind of all of our problem? What about people from other religions? Isn't this their problem too? What about atheists? Isn't this kind of their problem? It's a human problem. And yet it's often posed to Christians. So let's look at how other religions handle this sort of, other belief systems handle this question. In Buddhism, a Buddhist would say that you transcend suffering through detachment. So through meditation, if there's no attachment, there's no sadness. So kill desire and you no longer long for anything and you can experience nirvana. So the reason you get angry when you blow out the transmission of your truck is because you're too attached to it. And you're a guy and I get it and it hurts. Way down deep. No, but a Buddhist would say, okay, you're, you're, this is caused from desire which is caused from your attachment, so detach. Okay, but take that further. Now, do you detach when your 14-year-old son is going through chemotherapy too? 
because it makes you sad. So do you detach yourself from suffering people? Carry it to its logical end. Detach from things, okay, that's okay. But do you also detach from relationships and people in love? That's something to consider. Islam, in its most dominant strands, would say you overcome suffering by submitting to the God who causes it. And this is what say, they would say this a little bit different than a Christian would say, is that God directly causes it. And he chooses. So in the dominant strands, they would say that you should detach yourself from its effects, but listen, it's God in heaven pulling the trigger on some and blessing others, and it's his choice, so detach yourself from the effects of that. But God is directly choosing pain and suffering. For you, whereas a Christ follower wouldn't, wouldn't say that God is directly causing pain in people's lives. You know, we're still stuck with this, like, how can he be good and be watching it? How can he be good and not be taking it away? Hinduism, who has, you know, I mean, uh, if you're Hindu, you have tens of thousands of gods, maybe even hundreds of thousands of gods. Hinduism, they believe in karma, and, and karma, I mean, it sounds kind of okay, but let's dig down a little bit. It, it's this whole idea of, like, don't interfere in people's suffering, though. Like, what goes around comes around. Meaning... You're suffering because of sins in a past lifetime. Do you remember that there was even this sort of thinking in around the time of Jesus when, when a, blind, a man born, born blind, his, Jesus' disciples said, who sinned, this man or his, or his, or his parents? Somebody sinned. That's, I mean, obviously somebody sinned, so is it his fault? Because as soon as you know that it's somebody's fault, then it's easy because you don't have to feel anything anymore. And so they were just in this place where they're like, let's just put this guy in a box and be like, yeah, somebody screwed up, and so we don't have to feel anything anymore. But Jesus still felt pain for the blind man, born blind from, from birth. And so they're, they're in this sort of thinking. But, but with this whole idea of karma, it's this idea that somebody sinned and blew it, but you sinned in your past lifetime. So, so if you can't feed your child, that suffering is, is, is karma. Because you blew it before. And if anybody gets between you and, and your karma or your starving child and their karma, then you're just going to prolong it in the next time. So don't help. Let them suffer. Because you have another lifetime. We don't want them suffering in the next lifetime. So if you're wrong there, the implications are massive. Then you don't help suffering people. You don't try to fix wrong in the world. It creates this vicious cycle. Can you see it? Generation after generation. Can you imagine that if that was employed all over the world? This whole idea that you would never stop somebody from suffering. You would never get in between. You would never try to help. Then there's atheism. Let's talk about it. It's kind of a religion. I don't know. Can I just be honest? I think an atheist sort of thinks that he's God. The pinnacle of something. Or she. But an atheist would say that bad things happen because there's no such thing as a loving God. But I would say, in doing so, um, I would have to say that I don't know that an atheist could satisfy this question because then there's absolutely no, no point in the pain. There could be no purpose in it because there's really no purpose to being here. Pain and suffering? Well, God can't exist because a loving God would do away with it all. But you still haven't answered the purpose for why you exist at all then. Again, to have a good time? <laughs> what do you do with pain and suffering? I don't know. I, I can't find an answer in there personally. 
Naturalism in the evolutionary theory is that there's no meaning for suffering or life or anything at all. We're genetically programmed to survive. But again, we've asked the question in this series, you need to go back, how did moral creatures evolve from nothing? If you're a chemical experiment, why do you care? In New Age, this is interesting, and New Age could be a lot of different things here, but it's this whole idea that all is one and all is God in this enlightenment, like we're all kind of part of the divine. This suggests that evil and suffering are not real. Now, there are days that I would love to create a church where like, we don't have to talk about evil and suffering because y'all are screwed up. <laughs> we should have a New Age church, you know? Hey, it's just not real. Just don't talk about it. So positive thinking defeats negative reality. But this actually can be found in the church in places. Because um, I grew up in, in Christian circles when I was a kid. And so then I ended up working outside of Christian circles, which is so good for me. <laughs> but I grew up in Christian circles where if somebody was dying of cancer, you weren't allowed to say they were dying of cancer because it actually gave power to the cancer. Well, the reality of it is they were dying of cancer. So then people would look at Christians and be like, you guys are not realists. You're not dealing with it where, where it really is. Now, there's, uh, uh, you know, there's positive thinking and the positive speaking is great because I think that it actually can create reality at times. But then there's this other place where people are actually suffering and dying. Christians. <laughs> what do you do with it? Do you recognize it? Do you sit with somebody? Do you feel their pain? Or do you just pretend that it's not there? Do you just positive it away? <laughs> That's the thing. But I would have to ask this sort of thinking, if evil and suffering aren't real, why did Jesus come to deal with it personally? Because that's what he said that he did. He came down into the mess to deal with it personally. If it's not real, why did he come? He didn't need to come. So we're back to this question, can a good God exist with suffering? Does he himself experience pain? Paul says to the Romans, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. <laughs> That's why you tell your kids to shovel snow. <laughs> Builds endurance, kids. It's good for your character. Funny how when I build my character, I save my dad a few hundred bucks for a snowblower. <laughs> endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Listen, he's talking about salvation, being saved. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Then listen to where he goes with this. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Would you? Maybe your kids. Maybe. Oh, I know you say you would. If push came to shove. How about just a random upright person? Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While you didn't even think that you needed him. Redeeming somebody who doesn't want you. Doesn't even know you. Doesn't even know that they need you so badly. Dying for that person in the middle of sin, having fun, not understanding it's going to cost them their lives. While we were still sinners, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation, judgment. 
Here's another thing. Can God be good and not just? Then there must be penalty for sin. There must be a judgment. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his own son. Listen. While we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in the wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. I gotta say that we go to the scriptures in our weak, not robust North American concept of God or even Christianity. We go there looking for deliverance from today's pain and we find this other guy named Paul who's like, That's, this has not been my experience. And yet he said, I've been made a friend of God. And he comes down into the mess and helps me with it. I subscribe to this, this theory and this thinking called the fallen universe. Maybe this will help somebody. If you're sick, I'll pray for you and I'll believe that God could heal you because God is all-powerful. But if you die, we'll have a funeral and people will get saved. Because there's so much more going on in the next life. But I'm stuck in this place where if I had more faith, they would get healed. But the reality of it is the universe has been sick and twisted ever since the garden. When we said, thank you, God, for paradise, but we'd rather try to do this on our own and be God. That's what we said, like, the devil sold us on the lie that he bought because he wanted some company and said, oh, God doesn't want you to eat from that tree because you'll be smart like God, and so why don't you decide your own morality? That's exactly what happened. Adam and Eve were like, oh, we could do that. I would love to decide what's right and wrong. Landed us in this mess of the fallen universe, and from father to son all the way through the ages, sin has been passed down and passed down, and the effects of sin is death. That's the way that the universe works. It's always been the way that our universe has worked. But everybody that I pray for doesn't get healed. And the last time I checked, we're hovering around the 100% mark for fatality in the human race. <laughs> you gotta think about this, like, I mean, there, there have been so many people raised to from the dead and documented over history. And, but here's one, Lazarus. But Lazarus eventually had to cross that threshold because we live in a fallen universe now. This is temporary. My body is temporary. My soul will go on somewhere. But what if, can I ask this question today? And let's land here. What if pain was the point? Think about it this way. What if pain could be your tipping point? If Jesus embraced pain and suffering for the greater good, he certainly didn't deserve any of it. Is it a shock that he would expect those who follow him to do the same? Listen to a prophecy about Jesus some 700 years before Jesus showed up on the scene. 
by a man named Isaiah. He says this, and watch how he describes the life of Jesus. Who has believed our message? He says, to whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? He said, my servant, he's talking of Jesus, grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. What was he talking about? His currency was not our currency. We didn't get it. He was despised and rejected. What? A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised. We did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrow that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. But can I say whatever suffering that is going to approach you this week or this year, or maybe you're in the middle of it right now, can I say that suffering can shift you Toward God or away from God? It can make you selfish or selfless. It can make you proud or it can make you humble. But what if we stopped spending all our time trying to escape it and actually started embracing suffering? Like Jesus, our Lord did. I don't think we're really looking for answers. I read this in my devotional. Look this up on version. Finding God in the Ruins by Matt Bays. Going through it right now. So good. I don't think we're really looking for answers, he says. I think we just don't want to be alone. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We have a baptism time coming up. And there's always discomfort, for sure, swirling around baptism time because you're now entering onto a battlefield and the devil hates that. Before you get saved and make a private decision, then go public in baptism. And I think it should happen quickly. You need to build momentum and obedience and get running. And but see, before that, the devil had you anyways and he was going to have you for the rest of time. And so he just wanted to make you as miserable as he could, you know, because he just enjoys that sort of thing. But now you step onto a battlefield and there's always things going on. There's always hard conversations for a pastor to have around this time. And, and there's just generally hard conversations to have anyways. But I was thinking about something here in my own life that maybe you could parallel to something in, in your life. I have said these words in the last six weeks, maybe eight weeks, to I, I, I counted at least six people that I said these words to. You ready? If you would have had a good father, would we be having this conversation right now? In a couple of weeks, Father's Day is coming and I'm going to get my dad up here. See, I had a good dad and so to transfer trust to God was easy for me. Because my God, my dad was not a taker, he was a giver. He wasn't perfect, but he was good. 
And if you don't have a good dad, no matter what you think, you still view God like that and you have to unmake some decisions that you've made. You have to decide that when you feel threatened, sometimes it's not. And I have had to in this last couple of months say that and I've said that to like half a dozen people and said, if you'd have had a good dad, would we be having this conflict right now? Would we be having this discussion? Would things be falling to pieces right now? Because whether or not you like it, there's times as a pastor that I represent authority. Well, if you've been hurt by authority, you don't trust authority and I get it. But listen, it's still my job. And I represent a male authority figure as well. And if you've been hurt by a male authority figure, it's really, really hard and I get it. But listen, listen. I shouldn't have to deal with it because I had a good dad. I shouldn't have to be hated or mistrusted because I don't want anything from you. Because my dad didn't. I don't think God's a taker either. I've been down to hell. I've lost my mind. I never doubted God's existence. I didn't know how it was possible that God could be good and all the suffering was happening to me. But it's funny that, can I say this? I, I, I've talked to my wife about this, but I married a girl who didn't have a good dad. And you think about your life and, and when you have to help somebody else with their suffering and their pain. And so, and so my wife didn't have a good dad and her dad just left and wasn't there. And so, But take a look at it from my point of view. And I've talked to her about this. Girls, just don't get mad at me. But listen, if you didn't have a good dad, this is what's going to happen in your marriage. You're going to get into an argument about something. And early, early on, I remember thinking to myself, I just want to talk about the issue. But there was all these trigger points, right? Well, if she makes me mad, then I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to take off. Well, that's totally unfair to me because I, I never would have. Just give me a sec to spin this. And so there was some suffering for me in our marriage because I had a good dad and I didn't get it. I just wanted to deal with the issue, but she didn't have the benefit of that. And so there were so many times when I would not be able to deal with things as an issue and just get over it because there was all these things going on inside of her as well and this kind of, and, and why would she work on her own issues if I'm just going to leave anyways? That's not easy for me though, is it? That's not easy for her. But maybe, just maybe, I can help some of you that didn't have good fathers because even though I had a good father, I don't know what it's, wake, what it's like to wake up and not feel loved by my dad. I don't know what that's like but I do know what it's like now. And maybe I couldn't help you with it if I didn't have to suffer with this because I can see it from the inside now and I get it now. But that wasn't fair to me. That wasn't easy for me. I cried out for God to deliver me from this suffering because it was suffering and it hurt. But maybe God has some greater good plan down the road that if I just stuck it out long enough, I could help. And six times in the last two months, I have been able to help and say, hey, let me help you unravel this. Here might be kind of where it's coming from in here. And they sit there and they go, how did you know? Well, it's been a long road. But by God's grace, he can unravel this and sit with you in the middle of it because he wants to be your God and he's good. But you're going to have to overcome some of these things. So think about your life right now and think of all the unjust things that are happening to you. Maybe that person at work is the way that they are and you would be exactly like them if you grew up in their home. So have a little patience and ask God to put you in their chair for a little bit. 
And quit being so smug about how the world has worked out for you because it doesn't work out for most people. And God loves those people just as much as he loves you. Paul said to the Romans, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Hey, it might not go away, the pain and suffering and the evil, not in this lifetime, until the next lifetime when he wipes away our tears. But listen, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Come back next week. We're going to talk about hypocrisy in the church. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for every heart that you've touched right now tonight that we would, and particularly for that person that I just spoke to, that we wouldn't go back into our little protection bubble because it's not safe in there. That we would open our hearts up to a God who is actually good. And we would realize, you know, the suffering might not go away. That does not prove that God is not good or is not here. And Father, I pray that every one of us would ask you to come and sit with us in our pain and suffering so that we could find the real God as you are, not one who detached himself from the pain of his world that went south, but you sent your own son to live a blameless life and be killed anyways at the end of the day so you could come and sit with us in our mess. I pray that every person would understand the real love and the real sacrifice and the real pain that you experience every day. You are God, but you have come down to save us. We love you, Lord. Amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.